Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in the third week of our New Year's series that we are calling Seek First, which is not just a series. It is, in fact, the theme of the Father's House in 2024. And uh, as we start out this year and begin to lean into this theme, we are looking at the teachings of Jesus as found over the course of a couple chapters in the book of Matthew. Uh, sermon, uh, uh, scripture refers to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, our key verse, also the theme, is found round about the middle of this sermon where Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Uh, during the first couple of weeks of this series, we really unpacked that verse and spent a lot of time looking at the definition of some terms. We looked at what Jesus meant by seeking, and then we went on to look at the two things he tells us we're supposed to seek first, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And I've said this every week, I'm going to say it again, and then I'll stop after this week, but if you were not here for either of those two weekends, maybe you're new to the church or you're going to be joining us for the next couple of months before you transition to move to another spot, uh, if I could strongly encourage you, uh, go back and listen to the first couple of messages in this series, not because I thought they were particularly good, but because they really serve as a foundation for all that we're going to discuss over the course of the next couple of months as we unpack this Sermon on the Mount. And, and it will be difficult to frame in appropriately the things we're going to say without that context. So please go back and check uh, both of those out. But um, if you were with us in week one, or if you've already gone back and checked out the first sermon in the series, you might recall that I issued a bit of a warning. I said that there would be a time as we went through these teachings of Jesus where we arrived at some challenging content, some things that was confronted, were confronting or challenged our way of thinking and our way of living. When, when Jesus began to offer these thoughts on the hill in Galilee, he was not trying to win more Instagram followers and this was not a, a K-Love sermon. It was not positive and encouraging. He was intentionally challenging everything that people knew in their day, flipping faith upside down and calling people to a higher way of living, a higher way of thinking, the kingdom way. He began to say things like, I'm calling you as kingdom people to love your enemies and to bless those who curse you, to forgive those who've offended you, to take extreme measures to keep yourself from falling into temptation and falling into sin. And as much as I would love to tell you, as I just did in the first week, that this is the kind of church that treats the Bible like a buffet, where you can just kind of thumb through it and go, I like that, I like that, I'll take that, but I don't wanna do that stuff. You know, as a former employee of the late great establishment, Fresh Choice, anybody remember Fresh Choice? Yeah, I used to work there, it was awesome. I know well the, the moving past the salad bar and going, I won't take that, I'm gonna go to the bread bar and I'm gonna go to the soft serve, but, this is not a buffet. The Bible don't work like that. And this is not that kind of church. Sometimes you got to eat your vegetables in the scriptures. All right. Sometimes you need to embrace the difficult teachings of Jesus, because if we don't, we will never change. We will never be transformed into the image of Christ or the kingdom people he has called us to be. So fortunate or unfortunate for you, depending on how you look at it. Today, we embark on some of those difficult teachings of Jesus. It's a vegetable day at the Father's house. For those who did the Daniel fast for the last week, I'm sorry, no bacon. We're going back to vegetables once again today in the scriptures. Uh, but I think it's going to be challenging in the best way possible. And God's going to confront our ways of thinking, our ways of living, and perhaps even transform some of those before we leave this place. Are you up for that? 
All right. For the rest of you, I'm sorry. Whether you're up for it or not, it's going to happen. All right. So here's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we are going to consider these nine juxtaposing statements Jesus makes at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, many of you have probably read them before or you've heard of them before. They are affectionately referred to as the Beatitudes. Uh, found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or the insignificant, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you on Instagram because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the other righteous people that were before you. Those are the Beatitudes. And arguably, they deserve a series in their own right. They are a sermon within a sermon, and perhaps one day we'll unpack them uh, when we have a bit more time. But for the sake of this series and all the content we want to explore, we're going to break them into two weeks. Next week, we're going to look at the ending or concluding statements Jesus makes about persecution and how all of us as believers should welcome the rejection of this place called the world if it means that they don't want anything to do with us because of the God we believe in. But this week, we're gonna look at the first seven of these nine statements that Jesus makes. And as we do, I wanna pose a question that's gonna serve as our title today, uh, a personal question that I want all of us to wrestle with for the next 29 minutes and 42 seconds. I wanna ask, how can you call me blessed? How can you call me blessed? Or if you prefer the shorter, more ghetto version, blessed? Sure. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Whatever you prefer. Turn to your neighbor and give him one of those two right now. Come on. <laughs> I hear a lot of shoot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love the 11 o'clock service. All right. Tuck in your ghetto and let's pray for a second as we get into the word, shall we? Jesus, thank you for your presence in the house. Thank you for the moment of miracles and open heaven we experienced just a few ago. I pray that uh, heaven would remain open over this place. God, that we would sense your presence in a unique way as we go to your word. And Jesus, these statements you made a couple thousand years ago to some disciples on the side of a hill, may they be just as real and just as confronting to us today. We did not come to your house to do karaoke, hear somebody chat, and then go home. We came to your house because we believe that your presence and your word have the power to transform us. So change us today. We give you permission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... In order to answer this question we're posing and truly understand the words of Jesus in this text, we kind of need to start today, as we've done all of the other weeks in this series, we need to start by looking at a definition. Specifically, we need to look at this word blessed that Jesus uses, because if we don't understand what he means when he says we're blessed, then we might find ourselves chasing after something or holding out for something that either we already have or we may never actually lay hold of. So the, the word here in the Greek that Jesus uses for blessed is the word makarias. And its definition means to be fortunate, happy, satisfied, a recipient of God's favor. Makarios. 
So, so to be blessed is essentially to have this inner sense that all is well with my soul. Uh, but but that, that definition, it, it gains a little bit more clarity when we understand how it was used most frequently in the ancient Greek culture. Uh, when ancient Greeks used this word, makarias, it was not always used to describe a state of being or a state of existence. Rather, it was used to describe a physical location. Uh, to this day, off the coast of Greece, is an island uh, known as Cyprus. And uh, that island existed back then as well. And in their day, it was an island referred to as He Makarias, or the Happy Island. And the reason it was referred to as the Happy Island is because it was believed to be the island of the gods. Those who had traveled there and walked the landscape discovered that it had everything you could ever want. Abundant provision, fruitful, beautiful. The waters were clear, the sands were white. It was amazing. And so they considered this island a place of perfection. And so I guess what you could say is as Jesus looks at us and he begins to say, blessed, makarias are you, he's saying it's kind of like you're the permanent resident of a Greek island in the Mediterranean. You're just enjoying your toes in the sand. Everything is perfect around you. The waters are crystal clear. Every single one of your needs is met. How many would say that sounds like a pretty decent existence right there? Yeah. Put me in a Speedo and let's go party, baby. Let's go. I have no Speedos, as far as you know. Which sounds great. But before we start pouring umbrella drinks, we should probably consider the audience that Jesus is making these statements to because while the Greeks believed this existence was like living on a perfect island, that was anything but the reality of the audience that Jesus was addressing here in the book of Matthew. If you take a step back just a chapter into Matthew chapter 4, you begin to, to, to see who Jesus is speaking to as he issues these nine juxtaposing statements. We learn in verse 18 of chapter 4 that the first invited to be in the crowd were some fishermen that Jesus has asked to become his followers. And fishermen in their day, this, this was not a very desirable vocation. They were not respected in the community. Fishermen were considered some of the lowest guys on the totem pole. If you were a fisherman, it meant that you had no other marketable skill to offer your community. And so you settled for a thankless job, long hours, low pay, trying to eke out a living. But in addition to these fishermen, we learn in verse 23 of chapter 4 that the rest of the crowd present, as Jesus begins to issue these statements, they share a, an equally as unfortunate reality. They are the poor, the sick, the, the, the broken, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the insignificant in their society, the nobodies, the forgotten. As a result of the, the Roman occupation and the way they treated people who were sick or less fortunate, these were the people cast aside on the street, many homeless, wanderers, forgotten by their government, just waiting for them to die so they could scrape them off the street and add the next unfortunate soul to their place. And so when Jesus begins to make these nine statements, He's not speaking in vague generalities or being ambiguous in any way. He's literally addressing the plight of the people who are standing in front of him. They are the poor in spirit. They are the meek. They are the mourning as a result of their low place in society. They are those who are hungry and thirsty for justice because all they've experienced all their life is injustice at the hands of their oppressors. And yet, 
to this sick and suffering crowd, to this insignificant bunch of people, fully aware of their condition, Jesus looks at them and he's like, hey guys, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are so blessed. Hashtag blessed, post it. Isn't life great, guys? Fortunate, envied are you among people. What? It, it doesn't seem to register. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like, imagine this for a moment. Imagine you walked up to somebody who was at their lowest point in life. They've been tossed out of their home. They're living on the streets. They have no resources, no roof over their head, no dignity left. Nobody knows who they are. Their family has rejected them. And you walk up to that person and pat them on the back and say, fortunate are you, blessed are you, favored by God. You'd be lucky if you didn't get backhanded in that moment. Like, do you, are, you, are you looking at the same life I'm looking at? Personalize it for a moment. Maybe this doesn't even have to be the imagination of some because it is your current reality. Imagine you just suffered the greatest loss of your life. The spouse left you, the family member passed away, the job is gone, the resources are gone, your house is foreclosed on, your kids have run away, they want nothing to do with God, you raised them up in the house, they wanna go their own way, you're worried about their eternity, and as you're sitting there contemplating the difficulty of your situation, somebody comes up fully aware of your frail state and then offers this salt in the wound statement. You are so blessed, fortunate, happy are you to be envied among people, makarias. You'd think to yourself in that moment, are you not aware of my situation? Don't you see my suffering? Tell me that you're gonna fix it. Tell me you're gonna provide for my need. Tell me that my almighty God sees my suffering and he's gonna step in and rescue me. Tell me anything else, but don't tell me I'm blessed because I don't feel very blessed right now. Such a statement, it, it at, at least it's, it sounds tone deaf. At worst, it's, it's intentionally insulting. But at minimum, it should cause us to consider the question posed by the title. How could Jesus look at something like that and say, you are blessed? Blessed? So, how are you gonna call me Blessed. Well, he answers that question in each of these nine statements. It seems that with every single one of them, as you read slowly, Jesus is suggesting that even when life circumstances look like suffering, there is a unique opportunity to recognize a present blessing if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, why? Because you're rich in the kingdom. Blessed are those who find themselves mourning because only when you're mourning do you have an opportunity to experience the unique comfort that only God can provide. It doesn't come by a friend. It doesn't come by a coping mechanism. It comes by the spirit. But you'll never see that until you're in a season of mourning. And blessed are you when you feel meek, insignificant, like nobody sees you, nobody cares, you keep getting passed over. Blessed are you when you think for a moment it would be better if I wasn't on planet Earth. Why? 
Because God has chosen the insignificant, the weak, the meek things of this world to confound those who are wise and to display where power is truly sourced. It's not found in the things of this earth. It's found by the Spirit. Blessed are you when you feel like you're cursed. <laughs> now, to be clear, Jesus is, is, is not suggesting that all of us become these fatalistic sovereignists or blind optimists that ignore reality. He's not like, you know, hey, just bu buckle up, smile, force yourself to smile and go, well, things could be worse than they are. So I guess I'm just, I'm blessed. That's <laughs> not what he's saying. He's not like fake it till you make it. If he was, he'd be contradicting himself in the following verses where he tells you not to accept sickness and suffering, but to petition your father who is in heaven to ask and seek and knock and keep doing so because if you do, your father in heaven will hear your cry and he will respond to your need. So that's not what Jesus is saying. Nor is Jesus saying, as some have suggested, that these methods are some by, somehow prescriptive. Meaning, like, he's not saying you should pursue or attain these things because only in the lowest of states, if you pursue poverty, if you pursue insignificance, then and only then will God bless you. That, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, I stumbled on a new theologian I like this week. His name is Stanley Hawass, and he says this. Too often these characteristics of blessing have in Christian history been turned into ideals and virtues that we must strive to attain, when we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which of course is the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus tell us we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all the time or get ourselves persecuted. Amen. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's not trying to get us to buy into blind optimism, optimism or this pursuit of pain. Rather, what Jesus is inviting all of us into in these nine statements, at the introduction of his sermon, as he begins to issue this kingdom manifesto, he's inviting us to see our lives through a different lens, to see our suffering through a different lens, to see pain through a different lens, to see loss through a different lens. If I could sum it up in a statement, it would be this. What Jesus is inviting us into here is a kingdom perspective. To see things like kingdom people, not like people people. Uh, let me illustrate. Um, when, uh, when our family moved to San Francisco uh, years ago, we discovered very quickly that people in the city have the unique ability to make their current living space serve multiple purposes. Um, we moved from the suburbs where, you know, sprawling landscapes, all the space you need to store all of your useless garbage. Uh, but when we moved to the city, we had to purge a lot because we were moving into a much smaller space. And rather quickly, we embraced the ways of the city and realized that every space within our home needed to serve multiple purposes. So, for example... Um, uh, our pantry is also Robin's vanity in our house. Uh, we have one bathroom in our home, and so our kids and I, we, we stuff all of our things in the drawers and the cabinets in the vanity in that bathroom, and then we put a sink and a mirror in our pantry next to the dry goods in the microwave where Robin gets ready in the morning. Um, our living room also doubles as Robin's office. Uh, we have a secretary desk up against a wall between a couch, and if she folds the secretary desk down and squeezes one of our dining room chairs in there, she can kind of do like a velociraptor work situation, and she can get a couple things done. Um, our basement also serves as Robin's closet. Uh, 
all of her winter clothing and coats, they are in a zip-up wardrobe down there next to our washer and dryer and some spider webs. And I know what you're thinking because I can see the judgment in your eyes. You're like, what kind of a husband <laughs> says, you go to the pantry, you go to the basement, you go to the living room while I live in luxury with my own bathroom in my own closet in my own office? A horrible husband. That's what kind of husband. No, to be clear, Robin asked for every single one of those things. We have tried, we've arm wrestled over this, and she wants things the way they are. In fact, we are currently in an argument, it's been about three weeks now, where she would like to move the rest of her clothing down to the basement, and I refuse to let her do so because I'm like, it's just a matter of time before you set up a bed down there, and then you have your own bedroom, and I'm sleeping by myself upstairs. I love you, and I love our marriage, all right? I want this thing to work out, so, but... To be clear, you chose all of this, yes? Can you say it loud enough for people to hear? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I chose this line. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to take this moment and honor you before God and everybody. Thank you for sacrificing for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are incredible. You said that like I told you to say it. Like, <laughs> tell the people that it's okay. So among the spaces in our house that serve uh, multi-purposes uh, is our garage. Not only does our garage house Topanga, which is the name of our car, our kids gave our car that name from Boy Meets World, uh, but it also serves as our home gym. Now, gym is a generous term for what we have. Uh, I'm definitely churching it up a little bit. Uh, it is a very narrow one-car garage in an alleyway that I put some horse stall mats on the floor and, and set up some weights in. Just, just for perspective, I've, I've got a visual here for you. This is Jim Biddle right here, all right? It's, it's not bad, all right? It's okay. The pink and yellow weights are mine. The big ones are Robin's right there in the back. That's great. <laughs> But uh, when we started setting up the gym at the house, uh, I wanted to do my best to make it look nice. You know, I wanted to, 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 to make it feel as much like a gym as I could. And so I hung up a couple of mirrors, as you can see, on the right there. I want to look at myself while I work on myself. And what you can't tell by this photo is that the first two mirrors there in the back, they're totally normal. They're, they're flush. They're sitting up against the wall. But the mirror all the way to the right there, right by the garage door, the, the frame behind it, the, the, the framing of the garage is bowed. And so when I hung the mirror, the mirror bowed. Now, I don't know if you ever looked at yourself in a bowed mirror before, <laughs> but it's not the most flattering image. You look far wider and far shorter than you really are. And one could argue that is incredibly motivating when working out. So like if you need to push yourself, you stand in front of that mirror and you just, you know, yell at yourself and come on, what are you doing? Work harder. You look short and stumpy, biddle. Come on, push. Ah. And it's great. It's motivating. It's actually pretty good. Short and stumpy. I like that phrase. So many things in my head right now. Uh, but if you want to see a better reflection, if your ego is a little low one day, you, you move to the left and you look into one of the other mirrors. But I was thinking about my garage as we were considering this, this kingdom perspective. You can take that image off the screen. And, and, and I was thinking, you know, I don't really change depending on which mirror I'm standing in front of, right? I'm still the same dude. My, my, my body composition, my weight, my height, none of it changes based on which mirror I decide to stand in front of. The only thing that changes is my perspective. I see things differently based on where I'm standing. If I stand in front of the bowed mirror, I have a flawed reflection. 
I see things not as they are, but as the mirror would want me to see them. But if I stand in front of the mirror to the left, I see the truth. I see things as they really are. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to do here at the introduction to this, this new way of living is to start by standing in front of a different mirror. To, to stop seeing our lives through the lens of our broken condition, the lens of our suffering, the lens of our pain, the, the, the lens of our culture, but to see things in the spirit for how they truly are. To see things the way Jesus sees them. Because while we might see suffering and pain, Jesus sees an opportunity for blessing, a makarias beneath the surface. And if I could frame in that blessing to, to use a single word to describe what I think Jesus is inviting us into here, it would be the word that we looked at in the definition of makarias. For within that definition, we are told that to be blessed is also to be satisfied. Everyone say satisfaction. Ooh, I like the guy in the back. Thank you for the volume. Satisfaction. I think as humans, especially the Bay Area humans that we are, many of us suffer from the disease of dissatisfaction. We have so much Sometimes we forget how fortunate we are to live where we live, to, to be born into the time and season of this earth that we were born into. Yeah, I know we got stuff and problems, 99 of them, but man, we, we have so much to be grateful for. And yet statistically, we are some of the most ungrateful and unsatisfied people on the planet. If we had a theme song, an anthem, it would be that of Mick Jagger and the Stones. I can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try and I try. And, and to be clear, dissatisfaction does have some redeeming qualities, right? Like I, I think some of the greatest leaders throughout history have reminded us that dissatisfaction is, is the fuel that drives change. It's what drives achievement. All, only those who are unsatisfied with the status quo and the way things are will have the drive within them to see things come as they could be or as they should be. And we can see that play out time and time again throughout history. However, Though dissatisfaction can be a catalyst for change, I think we all know it can also be a kryptonite if we're not careful. I've noticed in my own life, and maybe you've noticed in your, yours as well, when I'm dissatisfied, I can become obsessed about what is next to the detriment of what is now. I can convince myself that satisfaction is only gonna be found in something that I do not presently possess, and so I end up chasing after what I don't have, not realizing what I do have right in front of me. And we all do this and we've all seen it before, right? That the single person is obsessed with getting married because they think when I get married, then I'll be satisfied. Oops. The, <laughs> the married person is obsessed about having the family because they think only when I have the family and the children will I be satisfied. The high school student is obsessed about getting into the right school because they think my future is dependent on that, and if I don't get there, then I'm not gonna be satisfied. 
The college student is obsessed with graduating with the right honors and, and the right grades because only then will they get into the right job. And if I get the right job, then I'll be satisfied. The, the entry-level employee gets into that job and then they become obsessive about the next title or the next pay bump because they think more prestige or more prosperity, then I will be satisfied. And on and on and on and on and on we go trying to chase satisfaction, the next opportunity, the next season, the next achievement, chasing, 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 not realizing that in so doing we are chasing our tails because as many of us could attest, the moment you secure the thing you thought would bring satisfaction is the moment you realize that it does not provide what it promised. And then you get right back on the wagon, into the rat race, and you start chasing the next next that you think will satisfy your soul. Singing that same old familiar song, I can't get no satisfaction, but I'ma keep trying over there, I'ma keep trying over there, I'ma keep trying over there. Hopefully one day I'll lay hold of this thing that I think I desperately need. But man, I think the invitation from this Sermon on the Mount is to trade in the broken record of dissatisfaction. To stop singing that same old broken song over and over and over and over again, thinking that this time things are gonna be different. Instead, to begin to sing a new anthem and a new song by a different artist, a, a shepherd turned king by the name of David, who wrote in one of his greatest hits, Psalm 23, verse one, what blessing is all about. He said it like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I got all that I need already in my possession. Translation, I'm not running after what's next thinking that my, 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 my stability and my hope and my satisfaction is found in the future. I'm not obsessed about a season I'm not in right now. No, I'm recognizing that I'm currently exactly where I'm supposed to be. Whether I'm sitting in green pastures beside still waters or I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whether I'm on top of the mountain or I'm walking through hell, I know that I already have everything I need because what I need is not more money or greater health or more opportunity. What I need is a good shepherd that walks with me in the middle of every season. And so I may not have what I want, but I got what I need because I have him. Come on, can somebody testify to that today? I got what I need. I already have all that I need. Guys, this, this is what the, the introduction to the whole thing is all about. What does he say? Blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit. That phrase is all encompassing. It, it's, it captures every other reality he's about to mention. The meek, the mourning, those that are hungry and thirsty for justice. It's all captured in that phrase, the poor in spirit. But what does he say to the poor in spirit? Blessed are you, makarios, to be envied, fortunate. Why? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. As we learned in week one, the kingdom is not something, it is someone. What is Jesus saying? Hey, you're blessed when everything else looks like you're cursed because you have the one thing that you truly need. It is not the thing you think you need. It is the one you know you need. And I am standing here right in front of you. You may not have what you want, but you got me. You got the good shepherd right here with you. So yeah, you might be meek. You might feel insignificant. You might be mourning right now. Things may not be going the way you want them to. But you don't have to chase after something else. 
No, chase me. Seek first me and you will have everything you need. And, and I know that a message like this can feel very antithetical in our prosperity, rich, truth and suffering light day and age. <laughs> Maybe you invited a friend to church today and you're like, I thought the message would be a little more encouraging. I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's my bad. I'm going to take that. <laughs> but, but I love you too much to not tell you the truth. I love you too much to lie to you. And as many in the room would testify, the truth is sometimes things don't turn out the way you want them to. Sometimes you have a moment in worship where you cry out for healing, but you weren't healed. Sometimes the family member passes away. Sometimes you don't get the job. Sometimes you do lose the house. Sometimes you suffer and you mourn and you feel meek and insignificant. And there will be seasons in your life where you question the goodness of God and the character of God and have to revisit this thing called faith. But the good news of the gospel is not that Jesus makes everything pretty and perfect for you here while you're living on a broken planet. The good news of the gospel is that whether you're on a mountain or you're in a valley, whether you are sick or you are healed, whether you have plenty or you are in lack, whether you feel like you're hanging out with angels in heaven or you're walking through hell, you have Emmanuel, the God that is with you, the good shepherd that stands by your side, the one who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You may not have what you want, but you have what you need because you have me. Now, can I ask you today, are you there in your soul this morning? Is there something in you that just goes, I'm blessed even though my circumstances don't look the way I want them to look. Is there a resolve in your spirit that says, I may not have that, but I got Jesus. In fact, I invite you, fill in this blank that comes up on the, on the screen. What is the thing? I may not have the healing yet, but I have Jesus. I may not have the title I've been chasing, but I have Jesus. I may not have the, the partner, the companionship yet, but that's okay, because I got Jesus. I may not have the answer to that prayer yet, but I got the one who's standing with me as I pray. The one who told me to come boldly into his presence and to ask him again and again and again, and may it be said of me as it was said of Abraham, my faith did not wane because I, my blank was not resolved yet, but it grew because I stood with the one who told me I had permission to ask again and again and again. I may not have that, but I have Jesus. Because only when you're there can you flip the script on this title. Only when you're there can you begin to say, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. I'm settled in my soul. I'm not looking for something else to satisfy. I got all that I need. I'm blessed. Last thought, and we'll close. I'll invite the worship team to come. The, um, the irony of this application uh, is not lost on me as I was preparing the conclusion of this message. I, I realized rather quickly that one of those words we could use to fill in the blank is food. 
<laughs> I may not have food <laughs> for the last week, but I got Jesus. And yet, isn't it interesting when you do something so counterintuitive, something that your body just rejects immediately, that you find the truth of that statement, right? I may not have anything in my stomach right now, but I'm finding a satisfaction that is far deeper than filling myself with temporary stuff. I may not have food, but I have the presence of the one who satisfies my soul with me. And there was a moment during the fast for the last seven days where I saw this reality kind of play out in front of me in, in real time. Um, on Tuesday night, Robin already mentioned this, we were sitting with our lead team. Our lead team is everyone who oversees uh, various areas of ministry at the Father's house, a couple of staff members, a whole lot of volunteers. And uh, every other month we get together at our house and we do a dinner together and share a leadership thought or we pray together. And uh, this time, because we were fasting, there was no, there was no dinner, just coffee and tea. And uh, Carlos, our music director, he walked in and uh, he's like, there's nothing sadder than coming to the Biddle's house and not having any food. And I'm like, I could not agree more. This is miserable, but we're doing it for Jesus, you know? Uh, but that night we sang a worship song and just began to pray over a whole lot of stuff. We, we literally took every card with names of people who are far from God out of this box and handed them around the room and card by card, name by name, we prayed for every, every person that needs to experience life in Jesus. I think we did the math. There's 4,600 people in this box that need to come to Christ that are connected to our church in some way. Uh, we got to pray for miracles and for breakthrough, for marriages that were suffering, for addictions that people needed to be set free from. I mean, we were just going through our list. We prayed for a couple that we sent out yesterday to the Middle East uh, in partnership with one of the ministries that were involved in out there. And they're going to Jordan and they're gonna to minister to some people that are in a very difficult situation right now. Just a lot of stuff. But halfway through the prayer meeting, after calling out a bunch of needs, Kara, uh, Carlos's wife, one of our amazing worship leaders, she, she began to sing this really old Hillsong tune, 20 years old, I don't know if that's really old, but it felt old. And a simple phrase that like caught fire in my living room, we just kept singing it over and over and over and over again. Maybe you've heard it before. I'll do my best to squeak it out here, but it's, oh, oh, all I need is you. Yeah, there it is. It's you, Lord, all I need is you. Yeah, okay, you've heard it, good. <laughs> and we just kept singing that over and over and over and over and over again. About four or five minutes into this little worship setting, just sat there and I thought to myself, this is satisfaction. Empty stomach, but settled soul. Depleted of physical strength, but undeniably in the presence of the one who truly satisfies. What were we saying? God, we have a lot of needs. <laughs> Got a lot of stuff we're praying for. But what we really need is not the miracle or the provision or the breakthrough or the, or the, or the. What we really need is you. <laughs> what did the old preachers used to say? Take the world, but give me Jesus. If I have him, I have all that I need. And if you're not there today, there's an invitation. Jesus said it like this in John chapter six. He, after giving another difficult teaching that caused some people to walk away, he said, 
eat of me, drink of my blood. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. And you've tried a whole lot of stuff that isn't satisfying you. But if you taste and you see that I'm good, you'll find satisfaction for your souls. The plate is set. There's a chair available. If you're unsettled and unsatisfied, pull up a chair. Taste and see that he is truly all you need. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Lord, thank you today for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you're speaking to us. We hear the invitation to see as you see, to process through a different lens. God, I'm not naive to the many situations represented in this room. Marriages that are a hair's breadth away from ending, families that have been disrupted and torn apart, needs that if are not met could result in some pretty dire circumstances. You know every situation, every name, every face, every story in the room. God, we're not gonna stick our heads in the sand and just pretend like we're happy about it. It's not what you've asked us to do. We'll keep praying, we'll keep asking, we'll keep seeking. But in the midst of it all, we're recognizing that our satisfaction is not going to be found in the answer to that prayer or the next thing we're seeking after. We're speaking to our soul right now. I already have all I need. I have Jesus. Maybe, maybe as we conclude today, there'd be some people in the room who would say, I, I, I am the audience of John 6. I'm the one Jesus would speak to and say, are you hungry? Have you tried to find satisfaction in a whole lot of other things and they haven't worked for you? Maybe it's time to come to the one who made you and see if you can find some satisfaction in him. Maybe you're at a distance from God this morning or you served him in the past, but you've walked away. The invitation is clear. Come home, come to the Father, taste and see that Jesus is good. And in just a second, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of commitment to come back to Jesus. And if that's you, you can pray that along with me. But for just a moment with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed between you and Jesus and kind of me, <laughs> If you would, just, if that's where you're at, you just simply slip up your hand and say, Tim, I need to pray that prayer with you this morning. I need to be included in this. I, I need to come to Jesus. Would you just look up at me and lift that, that hand right now so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you, ma'am, I got you in the front. Yeah, right there, sis, thanks. Yeah, I got you right there in the back, bro. Hallelujah, I got you up there, cool, right on. Yeah, over here, <laughs> right on, bro. Yeah, in the back, hallelujah. Yeah, I got you, bro, too, cool. All right, here's what we're gonna do. With those that just lifted their hand, or maybe you didn't, you, you still know you need to pray it with me. We're gonna pray out loud as a family so that none of these guys feel alone. So just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple, and walk in your ways. Forgive me of my sin, and may I be satisfied in you alone until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's shout for all those coming to Christ this morning. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, 
and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.